0: Welcome to the Everyday Ultra podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corcion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione. And today we have one of my favorite podcasters on the show today, and someone who has been huge, and I mean absolutely huge, into getting back on my feet with running. So, first of all, as you've probably heard many times in this episode before, I've been dealing with an IT band. issue for the, gosh, I don't know. It seems like two, three months at this point. And it's been really, really difficult to, uh, to, to start running. And so I turned to one of my favorite podcasts called the the run smarter series. And, uh, I started listening to all the episodes he had on it band syndrome and injury prevention, injury recovery. And I was just so obsessed with learning more that I actually reached out to him to work with him and we worked together. It was super great. And Brody got me up on my feet, uh, gosh, within like a month, which is great. And to give you context, I mean, for me, uh, I had IT band syndrome before. It took me three months to get back even to running where I am today. So uh, what he teaches works. And not only does it work for me, it works for plenty other people as his podcast is one of the most popular running podcasts out in the world right now. He has interviewed amazing guests. He has shared his amazing knowledge um, and he always backs it with, you know, not just the the results that he's have seen, but with like tangible science and research studies and things like that. And he keeps a very objective, but yet practical approach to not only recovering from injury, but also preventing it in a sustainable way. And we're going to talk all about that because he is a wealth of knowledge and I'm just super stoked to have him on the podcast here today. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce our guest to the show today. Brody Sharp. Brody, thanks for coming on the podcast, <laughs> my man.
1: What a steal. Thank you very much. My head is um, about the size of this room at the moment after hearing that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's well-deserved, man. Like I said, like there, there's a reason why I love your podcast. There's a reason why it has grown to what it has been today. And there's a reason why you know uh, you get the results that you do is because you, you have such a great knowledge into it and you explain it in such a great way. So all of it's well-deserved and it's an honor to have you on the podcast to, to talk all about these things. And I know, just shared a little bit about your background what you do and everything like that but can you just uh give our listeners a little a little bit uh of more context behind what you do how you get started and you know uh, what are the things that people come to you with mostly
1: yeah sure so i am from melbourne australia i am a physiotherapist by trade which very similar to a physical therapist in the u.s and I was actually a physio before I became a runner. I was a basketball player um, playing semi-competitively before, um, well, as I was studying my physio degree. And it was probably about two or three years into my physio career that I gave up the basketball thing, that career ended, and then was looking for the next chapter in my life and became a runner, just started recreational running. And a few years after that, started doing some recreational triathlons And like most runners, even though I had a physio knowledge backed behind me, I just got injured constantly. And when I was trying to treat runners, like if I I quickly caught the running bug, was competing in like trail events and half marathons and marathons and catching that bug and then seeing some clients come into my treatment room. And if they were runners, I just have this huge passion, just want to talk about Mm. their cadence, their technique, what races they're prepared for, like, what running shoes they have. And I was like constantly buzzing whenever I saw this clientele, but also recognized that there was a lot of misconceptions, a lot of confusions, like a lot of clients that would come in, that think that think a certain way or develop a belief around why they got injured or what they believe should get them back to injury. And I thought there's a lot of misconceptions around here and sort of committed myself and followed my passion to, uh, dedicate my time following the research and just trying to narrow down why do runners get injured so often? It is so ridiculous how often runners get injured and how much they struggle to return back to pain-free running. And so, yeah, followed that path and has led me to the podcast, the Run Smarter podcast has led me to um, the Run Smarter physio clinic where I am an in-person and online physio treating runners all over the world like yourself and just trying to, Educate runners as best as I can so that they can become a bit more confident with their training, a bit more confident with preparing for races. And if they do find themselves getting some symptoms here and there, knowing exactly what to do to overcome it, it might take patience. It might take a lot of diligence and the proper rehab, but at least knowing what to do instead of following unhelpful misconceptions. Some of the times like, um, beliefs that could actually be making things worse rather than better. And so that's the goal, that's the mission I'm on. And whether they just listen to the podcast or absorb my content in whatever way, and they don't require me and they can just overcome it themselves just with the building up their running IQ, then I think I've done a pretty good thing.
0: Absolutely. And I totally agree. You have definitely done a good thing. I mean, you've I I listen to some of the testimonials that you have like on your podcast from just listening to the podcast, right? Like not even like working with you, like the stuff that you put out helps even just from a podcast setting. So like the the people that you work with, you can tell that it's great, but uh, it's so cool to see that this is something you're super passionate about because it's, I always say that the people who are best at their work, like you uh, are passionate about that subject. And so cool to see that. The one thing that I thought was so interesting that you pointed out, here that I would love to hear more about is the misconceptions that runners generally have when treating injuries right because like you said there's so much information out there which some of it can is just not even helpful at all and uh could you share some of those common misconceptions um that come with uh treating injury in runners um so that our listeners don't fall prey to it or or carry out those things when they're you know recovering or preventing injury
1: yeah i think it's it's worth Backpedaling a little bit to talk about like what what causes running related injuries, yeah. and then we can follow up with a lot of misconceptions that are piled on top of that. Hundred percent. It's it's worth knowing that when it comes to a running related injury, most running related injuries are what we call overuse injuries. So mm-hmm. you have exceeded a certain uh, part of the body, a certain structure within the body, that be bone, ligament, tendon, muscle beyond its capacity, like every single muscle, tendon, ligament holds a certain capacity that it it can withstand. And if you exceed that with repetitive running or just overdoing it, then it's going to start breaking down rather than building up. Mm. And we can kind of hit what we call this adaptation sweet spot where you train and it stimulates that structure enough that it's good for it because we want to train within a certain intensity that it recognizes, oh, this is quite tough. This is quite hard to do. But following on from that, you might get this delayed onset muscle soreness. You might feel a little bit, um, well, you might require a little bit of recovery, but it doesn't develop an in, into an injury. You just recover. And as a result of that, you get stronger. And that's training within that adaptation zone is very healthy. But if you exceed that and surpass that adaptation zone, you go into this injury um, red zone where it significantly increases your risk of developing an injury. And so if you, if you go through that particular phase, then we're thinking, all right, let's not overdo ourselves. And that's exactly what happens with training errors. And that's exactly why injuries occur, particularly mm-hmm. running-related injuries. You're talking running too much, like increasing your mileage too abruptly, doing something that's running too fast too soon, or just any other abrupt changes that might occur um, if we're talking about the ultra scene, um, the trail scene, It might not be mileage. It might be hills or intensity or um, the downhill kind of thudding of the body, just trying to absorb all that load. If that's too abrupt and the body just hasn't got enough um, time and opportunity to adapt and adjust and recover, then you start breaking down. So when, when it comes to what causes running related injuries, we're mainly looking at abrupt changes in training and, if there are the, the ultra runners, which I'm sure are mm-hmm. listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. if they are um, operating at really high mileage, then we may be having the discussion of under-recovering as well. So mm-hmm. someone might uh, might not overdo themselves. They might keep to a high mileage, but there's no change. They've had a high mileage for quite a long period of time. So there's not an abrupt change. However, if you do under-recover and that be like lack of nutrition, hydration, sleep, stress, all these sort of things that we know aids recovery if you're not really ticking the boxes in that area of your life you could theoretically develop an overuse injury even though you haven't subjected yourself to an abrupt change so we're just trying to weigh up the balance which doesn't usually happen for a recreational runner at low mileage but is upping the risk if someone is an ultra runner that is operating at quite a high mileage
0: Mm, that makes so much sense. And I love how you even said, like, sometimes it's not just the abrupt changes, because I think that that's like, you know... Y- for me in my experience, whenever I've had like those abrupt changes is usually when you start to feel things, you're like, Ooh, like my knee's starting to hurt, or I'm starting to, you know, make you, you change from a shoe that's just dramatically different or terrain. Like you can feel those things. But I think it's so interesting. Like you said, you can not have an abrupt change and your sleep is lacking your hydration's off point. Your nutrition's not great. And those things can put it off whack too. And I think that's uh super prone, especially in the, the ultra community too, because you know, there's so much time running and you have less time to, to hydrate, to sleep, to do all these things, which I think is, uh, it sounds like it's probably more common to the ultra runners than, than the normal community. Like you mentioned before.
1: Yeah. Not only are they operating at a high mileage, so their, their balance needs to be really You need to be really careful with how you're managing that, but they are one to get up super early and risk a little bit less sleep to get in those long runs. And they're just their um, overall stress and that sort of stuff can be really tricky. And if you're operating at really high mileage, maybe you're not um, absorbing nutrition as well. Maybe your GI um, isn't functioning as well. And so there's a lot of intricacies within that, but yeah, definitely the recovery side of things needs to be on the higher, higher on that priority list, the more mileage that you operate at.
0: Mm. Mm, That's so important to know, so important to know, like to see that those, and you know, with ultra runners, like you said before, it's just sky high with the distance. And we'll talk like more about like best practices to prevent injuries and what can they do with the runner, but to go back on like the misconceptions, right? Let's just say someone's listening to this and they're either injured or, uh, they're like feeling towards injury or they just don't want to get injured at all. Like what are those misconceptions that generally come, uh, or I should say the worst advice you hear about injuries from the general convention convention or consensus sorry can't pronounce words today and what should people be doing instead of those misconceptions out there
1: there's a ton of misconceptions there's a there's a couple of common ones that i hear um that people think of why they've developed an injury one of them is they think they're they're too stiff or they need to stretch more Uh, one of them is like they think there's some sort of imbalance. They think maybe their glutes aren't activating. They think that maybe there's a hip imbalance or they've got one leg longer than the other, or they've been told by a health professional that their pelvis is tilted slightly one way or another, which could still be the case. You still could have a leg length discrepancy or um, a hip sort of rotation somewhere where you could have a, a glute stronger than the other, but we still need to go back to those principles of loading. What uh what capacity you do operate at how strong a structure is and just making sure you stay and train below those means so that you don't exceed um those those capacities and you want to still operate even if you have a leg length discrepancy or a a twisted pelvis whatever that means then you can still (laughs) operate at within the adaptation zone and you'll be totally fine and so there is a um A lot of times people are told that, oh, you just need to stretch more, you know, stretching reduces risk of injury and helps recovery, which the evidence shows isn't really the case, Uh, might make you feel better and might help you relax and sort of enter a bit of a recovery phase easier after a run. People do like to wind down a little bit with a stretch. So it has its recovery enhancements purely from a psychological perspective. Perspective, but if you look at the physiological side of things, stretching doesn't really do a lot to reduce risk of injury before a run. Does uh, doesn't really do much to aid recovery after a run, and so that's one of the the misconceptions I like to bring forth to runners. Because if someone's constantly getting injured and they believe it's because they don't stretch enough, then they're not honing in or they're not focusing on the right components. So they might continue to develop injuries because of that belief and that focus is elsewhere. And they're not really focusing their attention on the aspects that are generating those injuries. So they might be spiking their training or having an abrupt shift in some form of another that it's not picking up.
0: I love that. And I love that you touched on the stretching thing because That's, I mean, for me, like that was the first place I ran to. I remember when we worked together, you know, you had my program there and there was like no suggested stretchings. And I remember in our like last meeting together, it was like, Hey, should I do stretchings? And you were like, well, you know, it doesn't really show that it works. And my mind was just like, freaking blown. I was like, holy crap. And mm-hmm. I mean, the results are showing for there. And that's so interesting to see that. So you heard it here folks, like stretching isn't the the right place to start to attack. And I know you mentioned like looking at your training load or anything there that, you know, might've led to those spikes and kind of, uh, moving past the adaptation zone is there any other areas that people should be looking at instead of stretching, um, to prevent injuries as an ultra runner? Cause I'm going to assume most people listening, um, aren't injured. Um, they're out there smashing miles and everything like that, but. Obviously everyone wants to stay in the game, right? You can train for a race all you want, but if you're not making it to the start line, then Hey, like it's, it's not going to matter. So, uh, what are the things that they should look at in order to prevent injury as opposed to just stretching?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, with like the stretching, you can still do it. Like it definitely doesn't have any harm. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like. If you feel good because of it, then definitely keep it in. Like usually when runners say, should I stretch or I have this injury? Do you think stretching is okay? I'll say, look, does it make you feel good? If it feels good, then do it. Cause it's mm-hmm. not going to make, it's not going to be harmful. There mm-hmm. are certain injuries and certain tendinopathies where I wouldn't stretch too much,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we know that runners, some runners, they have a, a good warm up workout where they're doing a whole bunch of stretches and then they just feel great when they go for a run. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is worth trying a few different routines, a few stretch routines. I know I do a quick, like two minute stretch routine because I feel like if I just got out of bed doing that kind of routine, I feel better once I start running. But for other people, might not they might feel indifferent from a stretch mm. compared to no stretch, or someone might feel mm-hmm. a lot better from a 10 minute stretch to a two minute stretch. So it's worth breaking it down for the individual and seeing what the, the benefits do generate for them, but don't convince yourself that it's reducing your risk of injury. Cause um, the research just doesn't point to that. You do it because it feels good. Um, okay. Back to you, back to your question no, about other yeah. things that we can implement. Yeah. So there are some things that revolve around our universal principles, the adaptation zone and things that we can implement to reduce your risk of injury. Um, I wouldn't say that you can get your injury risk down to zero. I would Mm -hmm. say you can significantly reduce your risk of injury, but if something does arise, it's sort of knowing what to do day one, day two, day three, that's going to help you negotiate the injury, overcome it really quickly without losing fitness, you know, without losing much mileage. And then, uh, you know, you continue moving forward. I think for a certain, for the vast majority of runners out there, it's kind of hard to get it down to zero. I I think it's unrealistic in my mind, but Mm. the one tip I would say is definitely like log and manage your training loads. Make sure that if an abrupt change does happen, you can identify it on paper or, you know, track it somehow because a lot of people struggle to remember what they've done a couple of days ago last week, even two weeks ago, if someone wasn't to document things and you would say, oh, what was your running mileage two weeks ago? They would have no idea. Mm. And so that can be um, a profound sort of practice. A lot of people follow training plans so that they can, you know, track their weekly mileage. And all that's doing is just making sure that the training loads you do are registered, you're monitoring them and you can work Um, forward and plan your future weeks just in a structured manner so that we're reducing our risk of those abrupt changes in volume. The other thing that I would say for injury prevention is to make sure that throughout your training, you have the right intensity distribution. And Mm. a lot of runners kind of get this wrong. A lot of people don't really think it would be beneficial, but it can be really profound once you implement it. And Some runners may or may not have heard of the 80 20 rule. So, 80% of your entire weekly load should be dedicated to really easy, um, low intensity efforts, leaving the remainder 20% of your weekly um, load, weekly mileage spent in upper efforts. You can do sprints, you can do interval work, you can do heel sprints, you can do um, time trials, like all of these sort of um, workouts that you know generates a bit of variety, generates a bit of um, speed. I know people like running fast or some of them anyway. And that's that dedicated 20%. And when that distribution, when that 80-20 distribution um, is really evenly planned out, then you are building a volume that's safer because it's a lot of it is lower intensity. So we're not spiking loads in the same mm-hmm. way but also it increases running performance because when it comes to those efforts, when it comes to those really hard efforts, your legs are a lot fresher. And so a lot of, if someone doesn't get this balance right, they sort of fade into what we call this gray zone of intensity, where if they are meant to dedicate themselves to really low efforts, but instead they're like, oh, but I'm feeling really good. So let me um, push it a little bit. Let me increase the intensity just because I feel really good today. Uh, then they train a little bit harder than they should. So when it comes to those more intense efforts, they're not as well recovered. Their legs just aren't as fresh and they can't perform in the same way as if they would have fresh legs. And so it seems counterintuitive that such a wide or such a vast percentage is dedicated to low intensity training. But once you get it right, you can um, really see the benefits, not only in your recovery, not only in building up your mileage safely, but also building up your performance. And there's a lot of evidence to show that this, um, ratio of training works in the recreational kind of population, but also up in the elites. And that can be a really nice, um, thing to implement very nice sort of strategy.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, like it's, it, It definitely applies, I think, even more to the ultra community, like you mentioned, right? Because usually people are going out for these long distances, right? And, you know, you can't necessarily maintain some of these gray area intensities that people might be going at for 50 miles, 100 miles, even 200 miles in that case. And running that slower pace is at least, you know, from the things that I've seen and heard from yourself is like, you're able to really long, run more efficient for a longer period of time while also like preventing yourself from staying injured so it's like a double whammy in that sense and i love how you, t- you uh, talked about the performance side of it because i mean you know the the thing even when i first started running is like hey like i want to run fast i want to sweat i want to like you know i want to feel my heart pounding out of my chest but when it comes to the ultra community that is like the opposite of the ideal training you want to do for that 80 percent, like you mentioned so i think that's super super cool now uh I definitely want to talk about like what happens when an ultra uh, ultra runner does get injured, but just to kind of dive a little bit more into the practicality of like the training loads and everything uh, like how much would you suggest would be like an ample amount of mileage that people can spike up um, for, you know, a given training load. Like you mentioned, like, you know, if you're running 10 miles uh, one week and then the next week, like you add on the 50, obviously that's a huge thing. What's kind of like an ample gradual, like a ample gradual, gradual pace up that people can do.
1: Most people will have heard of the 10% rule, like increasing your mileage by 10% per week mm-hmm. is a um, general rule to follow. I think thats it's just trying to put a really general blanket statement on a lot on every runner, no matter mm-hmm. what their distance, no matter what their intensity, no matter what their goals. So there is a lot of wiggle room there, depending on your individual circumstances. First of all, like the 10% rule is so gradual, especially if you're a recreational runner, just starting mm. out and you're starting out at like between five and 10 kilometers per week or five miles per week, it's going to take you so long to build yeah. up a substantial thing if you're following that 10% rule. So you'd probably push it to about 15, 20% there. But on the other side, if you're operating at a super high mileage, then it might be right up your alley. If not, it might be too aggressive.
0: Mm.
1: So there does need to be some wiggle room there, but between 10 and 15% uh, for most people would be a general, and then you just see how your body is responding week by week. Mm -hmm. So it's not an abrupt change. It's a very conservative increase. And then you're just tuning into your body day by day, week by week, and saying, how am I recovering? Um, How, how's my body feeling? How fresh do my legs feel? was this ramp up a little bit too much? Do I need to have a deload week, which some people like to do, like say four weeks on Mm. increasing by 15%. And then that fifth week they're deloading and doing like 70% of what they did the week before. And then they're getting back into um, ramping up, but it all depends. And a lot of it comes down to recovery as well. A lot of it comes down to like foundation strength. A lot of it comes down to just how people respond to different trainings. So another uh, scenario would be uh, a beginner runner who's like, well, where should I start at? What's my mileage? Well, it really depends because you could have just not exercised for 18 months and been completely sedentary. And then you have to get into uh, whatever couch to 5k or a 5k running race that you've planned for compare that to someone who like myself, who started running and had never done long distance running before or recreational running before, but had a, Career of like basketball, doing gym multiple times a week, like that level of fitness had a little bit more leeway for my starting point compared to someone else who's just been completely sedentary for, you know, 18 months, two years. That's a totally different approach to seeing, okay, how much can we build on? What mileage can we get away with? But it's all just a guessing point. And then just along that, along that trial, if you're gradual enough and if you're sensible enough, it's all about just. trusting your body and seeing how your body responds and then just adjusting accordingly because you wouldn't spike it by 25% and then develop an injury. Mm. No, you'd probably be a little bit more conservative and bump it up by 15%. And instead of it being an injury, it's just this, my body doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm not recovering well. I feel like I'm really struggling during my easy runs. It's just like all a little bit too tough. And then you can say maybe 15 was a bit too much. Mm. Maybe it should be between five and 10. And because you've made that sensible decision in the first place, you haven't developed an injury, but you're just making those adjustments along the way.
0: I love that. And what what I love about your approach uh, to like nearly everything we've talked about so far is like, there's no really like blanket statements for the most part, right? There's principles that have shown success and there's studies that shown, but really it all comes down to the contextual things that make up each individual's different experience, right? And it's a matter of trial and error and trying something out as opposed to just saying, Hey, 10% 10% each week. Like that's what you should be increasing your mileage or use this one shoe, this shoe is superior, right. Or uh, do these one, do these exercises, right. It's not a one size fits all. It's a very much like a, a guessing game and seeing how things go and logging things down. That's why I love that's That's one of the principles because logging things down is going to allow you to see, okay, like what approach do I need to take now? Now we know that we can fine tune the different things. And I just wanted to highlight it, like how Uh, Awesome! it is that you take that approach because I think it's the same thing with nutrition. It's the same thing with training. It's the same thing with gear. It's like really just the same thing. And uh, I, I totally agree. I think the blanket statements can be dangerous to some extent. Now, definitely want to move on to if an ultra runner is injured right there, they're on this podcast. They're like, well, damn, like I ended up like Joe and I was dumb and I did an Ironman with an I, IT band injury and, and now I'm here and I don't know what to do. Um, and obviously, right. There's so many different types of injuries and, and different areas to go to, right. And well, we don't have time to go through all of them, but from a general perspective, if someone is injured, where is the place that you say uh, they should go to in terms of like best principles or things that are backed up um, by the studies out there?
1: Yeah, so we can fall back on the, that adaptation zone that we we're talking about at the start of the episode. So when you are injured, I say that every, every muscle, ligament, tendon has a certain capacity, has a certain capacity to tolerate load. If you exceed that and a particular structure, let's say your right Achilles, if that becomes injured, then in that irritated, sensitive state, that adaptation zone actually drops. So it becomes weaker in the the short term. It becomes weaker because it's quite sensitive and just the loads that it once could tolerate, it can't tolerate anymore. So the goal with an injury is to try and find where that adaptation zone is and train within that adaptation zone to build it back up. You can underload it. You can overload it. A lot of people make that mistake. So some people ignore it and say, oh, it's only a little injury, or it's only a niggle, let me just continue running through it, and you just continuously exceed that new adaptation zone, that lower adaptation zone, and it gets worse and worse and worse, so symptoms get worse, but that adaptation zone also diminishes more and more and more because it becomes more irritated so that it can tolerate less and less loads. But unfortunately, you can also underload it Because the, the second approach that people have to injuries, if they don't get assessed and follow the right guidance is okay. My Achilles is sore. Let me just rest for seven to 14 days and hopefully it comes good again. But what you're doing is you're taking that new adaptation zone, which is lower than what it was. And you're trying to combat that with complete rest. And so Mm -hmm. what, what does the body do with complete rest? It gets weaker. It atrophies and starts to diminish that adaptation zone again. And so that's when people take 10 days off and then they return to running and they have to negotiate a hill. And then all of a sudden those symptoms come back and they come back worse. And they're like, oh, damn, maybe I just need more time to recover. Maybe Mm -hmm. I need to take more time off. And then you foster in this um, pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral that I talk about on the podcast. And both of those scenarios, the, the overloading and the underloading are just as unhelpful. So the... Tricky part is trying to find, okay, where exactly is that new adaptation zone? How do we know? Well, you can start if we're using the example of an Achilles, you can start with reducing your running mileage and seeing how symptoms are. You can start by loading it up with some slow, heavy strength training, so calf raises and seeing how it responds. So you're talking about trial and error before. This is exactly the same. We trial something pay attention to the symptoms during that activity, pay attention to symptoms after that activity. And then we can just try and interpret what's happening based on symptoms. Interpret if we are negotiating this current trial well, because if we are, then we're probably hitting that sweet spot. But if we're underloading it, if we're loading it up and we're responding well, and that falls just short of that adaptation zone, we're going to be progressing anyway. So we're going to be slightly increasing our running or we're going to be, slightly progressing our strength work and our rehab exercises. So eventually we're going to stumble into that recovery, uh, the adaptation zone. And then once we do hit that adaptation zone, then we continue that progression so that the adaptation zone builds its way back up, back to where it once was, back to pre-injury loads, but then try and get beyond that and try and make that weak link in your whole entire body, the strongest link it can be. So then it's your strong point rather than your weak point. And we do that mm. by, you know, strength training, trying to really hit all the zones, trying to hit all the intensities. And you go from heavy, um, slow, heavy strength training to then plyometric stuff to then like introducing a lot of power, a lot of speed, a lot of um, greater ranges of movement and just progress far beyond what the requirements are for your running endeavors. So they just won't break down. So again, we're following those simple principles. It's not having any blanket statements. It's trial and error. And it's paying attention to the body and listening to the body to make those judgments. But I think having a trained health professional that works with runners can start you off on the best mm-hmm. path so that you're not just completely guessing and you say, okay, maybe let me do some calf raises. I'll hold on to 20 pounds and do something. And then that just flares it up. Like a health professional will have, We'll be doing trial and error as well, but we'll have a more educated guess as to where our starting point is based on all the people that they've seen before and how irritated the injury is or what the type of injury is. You might treat it more conservatively. Um, We know for say stress fractures, that can be a total exception to this rule. We want to, we want to completely rest it sometimes. Um, Whereas other injuries we can probably get away with a lot more pain levels. So Mm a health professional will help determine what based on the injury, based on the type of injury and how aggravated it is, like where that management plan should, should go. But um, it, it cuts out a lot of the guesswork and it makes it a lot more efficient. But again, it, they're just guessing, but it's more of an educated guess.
0: Yeah. I love that. And when you go to the the, health professional that actually can point you in the right direction, you recover quicker, right? Because like you might try out a million different things, like just literally just shooting from the hip of like, okay, maybe it's hip hikes. Maybe I should do some deadlifts. Maybe I should do some squats and then it doesn't work. And then you push back another thing. And then you're guessing in these other things where it's like, I always say like learning from the people who know how to do it is like your shortcuts to success all the time. Hence why I called you. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's so true. And I love that you said that. Um, One thing that I also so thought was so, so interesting that you said in that last thing that I definitely want to want to highlight is you said that, you know, when you have an injury that has this, this, uh, th- this low loading point, this low uh, ability to take on those things, you want to be able to build it back up to where that area is before, but also to make it stronger down the line. And I think that's so cool because many times I hear from runners is like, oh, I historically have like a bad knee or I historically have, you know, these kind of problems. And it sounds like doing things like strength training and being able to build that thing back up and then also progressing with a good load is able to do that. So I guess like, and I know like the, the optimal answer for doing that is is essentially, you know, going to a health professional, but maybe, uh, for someone, uh, who's listening to the podcast right here is like, shit, I need to incorporate some strength training. I need to like really get onto those things and, and, uh, and really start to implement something. Where would you say like the best places, um, from a general perspective, common to most running injuries that people can start, whether they, are injured or whether they aren't injured, obviously the best case scenario being coming to you or a health professional, but where can someone start if they're listening and they're, they're eager to just uh, start trying out some things.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think some people, if they had an injury, let's say they had a knee injury and they rehab it, they get back to running and then it comes back like several months Mm -hmm. later. And then they're dealing with it like two or three times within a year. Essentially what they're doing is they're strengthening it up to the point just and to the point of them being able to run. But if you just do that, then that is still your weakest point. It's still your mm. weakest link. And you're just getting away with the bare minimum. And therefore, if you have any abrupt changes in training, or even just like slight fluctuations in training, that could overdo it. And then all of a sudden that mm. injury is there again. And so it's really important that you, even if the injury comes back twice, it's like, okay, let me really dedicate myself to getting this knee making it my strongest link rather than my weakest link. And you can easily do that just following a good strength and conditioning plan, but also following a good running training plan. So kind of combining the two and you can do that. Like to answer your question, I think strength training is like all runners, no matter what distance you're running at should be strength training twice a week, because when you, when you're out running, you're, it's more of an endurance sport. Yes, you're accumulating quite a high amount of load when you plant on the ground. Anywhere, like on average, two, three times your body weight through the whole entire body. Some structures, some specific muscles uh, tolerating eight times your body weight every single step. So it generates an entire amount of force. But in its nature, it's very highly repetitive. Like you take a 100 and 70 steps per minute and if you times that by the amount of minutes you do it's very very repetitive but the body also gets really acclimatized to that really quickly and if you were to have say the bones um, like your shin bone when you impact the ground there's a shock that goes through that shin bone and it wakes it up and says oh this is like an interesting stimulus let me adapt to this let me try and make sure i become accustomed to this But after it only takes a couple of minutes of you just doing that same thing over and over again, before it comes really bored, it lacks that stimulus. It lacks any change. And you said, you know, I'm kind of bored of this. I'm used to it. Don't bother. So it's, it's interesting to point out that if you implement strength training, that's just a different stimulus throughout the week where the body just wakes up again and says, this is different. And especially tendons, tendons respond really well to strong, heavy, slow kind of loading and builds up resiliency and tolerance. If we're talking about capacity and we're talking about that adaptation zone, you build those right up when you start doing really slow, heavy stuff. And um, it's this treating that, it's triggering a new stimulus for you to contribute to overall resilience. So therefore, when you are using your Achilles really hard running up a hill, or if you use your patella tendon really strongly eccentrically thudding down a hill, those tendons are super strong and they're super resilient. So that's where um, strength training become really important. But then also if we're hitting all of our intensity buckets, you do want a little bit of uh, plyometrics. You do want a little bit of like power, speed sort of stuff, which you can implement on your running. You can do really well-structured hill sprints. You can do really well-structured sort of tempo runs or interval training, but you can also carry over into the, the gym and the weight room and start doing some plyometric stuff there. Because if you start doing that, um, even if it's at low volumes, you're increasing your stiffness in your tendons. You're increasing the stiffness of the whole kinetic chain. So you actually become a more efficient runner because you're not wasting a lot of energy with planting the ground and all these uneven kind of movements, all these unnecessary movements that just waste energy. You're becoming this really stiff, efficient, economical runner which carries over into a lot of uh, running performance. And we have tons of evidence to show that if you do strength training, if it's heavy, slow, controlled, and plyometric, you're going to get a better time trial speed. Um, Research has shown 3K, 5K, half marathons, marathons, you just get better performances. Um, Compared to strength training that is more body weight, um, just doing really high reps, three sets of 20 reps of just doing bodyweight squats or lunges or calf raises. Um, you just don't trigger that stimulus, just triggering that same stimulus that you might've done when you were out running and just get bored of it. Um, so you are much rather implementing strength training twice a week, a little bit of plyometrics here and there, if you're ready for it, but the, the bulk of it needs to be slow, heavy stuff to stimulate the tendons and um, builds up that capacity as much as possible.
0: That's such a good distinction that you said there, like saying that the weights and lifting heavy stuff is way better than the body weight, right? Because uh, when most people, they start to strength train with running, I've seen that like, you know, obviously like- people, or I would say the, the general consensus, at least here in the States is like, if you're lifting weights, like you want to get strong, you want to look good. Like you want to have big muscles and the ultra running community is like, Hey, no, I want to be lean. I want to be skinny. I want to have like less weight. And so like, if I lift all this weight, like it's going to make me like big bulky, like not nah. like, but to your point, it's like, no, it's not going to make you big and bulky. Like it's going to really make your muscles stronger, especially the weaker ones that have the imbalances that are going to allow you to have that sustainable approach. So would you say like the heavy weight training is like how you sustainably, uh, really, make sure that you, uh, bounce back from that injury, um, so that it doesn't re go again. Is that just a recap what you, what you mentioned there?
1: Yeah. And to touch on your point about the, the gaining weight as well, it's a lot of, it's, it's sort of a big hindrance, a big hurdle that people mm-hmm. are like runners, especially because they look at a runner and you, you want to be lean, like you do want to mm-hmm. be lean and skinny in order to do ultra events. That just makes you more economical. And they look at a gym goer, or a bodybuilder or something. It's like, that's not a runner. I don't want to be anywhere near that because they're heavy. They're not really flexible. They don't have any cardio. So why would I put in any time and effort to try and get closer to that? Mm. However, they are taking their strength training and their gym routines like, totally different to how you're going to take your gym routines. First of all, they are operating really, really heavy, but they're doing say like five sets of you know, four reps, they're doing a four rep ma- maximum and it is like extremely heavy, but they're doing it five, six times a week. And on top of that, they're not doing any cardio. And on top of that, they're eating incredible amounts just to try and put mm. on their muscle mass. Cause that's their goal and eating high volumes is what's going to put on that muscle mass. And What the body does really interestingly is it has this interference effect where if you throughout the week, if you strength train twice a week, but then you run three, four, five, six times a week, your body is going to prioritize adapting to cardio and adapting to endurance than it is going to for strength training. So you're Mm -hmm. not, it's going to be really, really hard for you to put on any muscle mass. If you are not eating at those incredible amounts, and you're also working in a lot of cardio throughout that week. However, while you don't put on muscle mass, you do get stronger. So your your muscle fibers actually develop and your force production actually increases when you do strength training and also mix in some cardio. So it's kind of like this double whammy of like you don't put on muscle mass. So you don't get big and bulky and unflexible, but you also get really strong. So you're reaping those rewards and still stay a lean, healthy runner. Yeah, if you're really skinny, and you've never done strength training before, you might become more defined. You might put on a, a pound or two of muscle, but it's definitely not going to be at that same rate of the bodybuilders. You definitely won't look like a bodybuilder. It'd be impossible for the body to become that while you're doing so much cardio and um, not treating and not having the high protein sort of diets and the same volume of, of food that they're, they're wanting to do. And they, it's true dedication to try and put on muscle mass and it'd be extremely hard to do almost impossible.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I used to try it in the past before my running days and it's freaking hard, man. And I know my friends who do try and do that. And like, they are bodybuilders, like they, they compete and it's a, it's a freaking lifestyle on its own. So I, but I love that you broke that down because that's a common misconception that I hear a lot from uh, our listeners. And when, when they hear strength training, it's that same kind of conception. So that's great. Now I know we're coming to the tail end of the podcast and I, I want to just talk about this one aspect because I think it, it affects most runners. It certainly affected me is that when you're, you know, you go through injury and you know, you're not running up to the mileage or even if you're in a stress fracture and you're not necessarily running, you know, running is a very, I guess, spiritual or, or a, a, uh, a soul lightning thing for a lot of people, right. It's their, it's their thing. And sometimes when it gets taken away from them, they have to do it less or in a way that's not optimal for them. It can be hard mentally. And like, for me, I know when I went through my injury and I had to lay off running for the first few weeks that I was working with you, just because of how severe the injury was, uh, It was. It took a toll on me. I was. I was facing symptoms of depression, not feeling myself, feeling down. Like it was. It was hard. And you put out a pretty uh, interesting post, kind of about how this relates with recovery and maybe some things that you know uh, you can you can do to curb those kind of things. So how do you, what, what's your recommendation for runners who are injured, who are struggling in that place? So they don't kind of get into that headspace where in, in your like uh, post mentioned, sometimes it can hinder recovery and you know, even make things worse. So what's your, uh, what's your approach to that?
1: Yeah. It's, it's a big consideration that uh, when a runner is injured, you need to consider the psychological impacts of not running compared to um, running. And so, if you were to go to say a GP and you, you're a runner, you love running, that's all you you focus on. Then you've got a knee pain, you go to a GP or go to a health professional that isn't a runner and they say, oh, you should just shouldn't run because running's bad for your knees, which is another misconception that we can talk about another time. <laughs> the You would either, you'd be extremely depressed because you're now having that one passion in your life, the one stress release that you have, taken away from you, or you just ignore that advice and say, screw them, let me go and just run anyway, and just make my injury so much worse. And so, especially as a health professional, when I have a lot of injured runners, and some of them have different emotional attachments to running, some have different loves and passions for running different heights of um, passion, you really need to consider that if they commit to this running, if they love it so much, and it's their only stress relief, and they notice a lot of physiological benefits, but also a lot of mental benefits. What is the cost? If they are injured, what is the cost of taking that completely away? And so that's why we really need to weigh up those benefits versus rewards. If you have a stress, stress fracture, you have to have time off because it will make it so much worse. But for a lot of injuries, there is some leeway for them to still run and still kind of get that stress relief, kind of feel a little bit more better about themselves while trying to manage everything else alongside it. And sometimes it might be, we might push the boundaries and say, look, this running dosage that we're giving you might actually exacerbate things. Would you accept a little bit less and, or would you accept mm. this sort of dosage? Um, and if they say, look, I'm going to really struggle if I have to run any less than this and say, okay, that's what we decide to take on. Mm. At least the, the mental benefits are going to be alongside that. Let's do the best we can with the rehab, with, modifying their running with modifying their terrain or their speed or their um, their shoes, anything that we can do to settle down that injury while they're still maintaining their running. But some runners are okay with doing something else, doing some cross training um, and say, Oh, I'm okay to cycle for a couple of weeks if that's going to be okay. And then I'll slowly get back into running. Most of them are okay with that, but those who are really emotionally bound to the, the act of running and say, don't take it away from me. I'm going to have a really tough time. Mm. Stress-wise, the just stress management, just emotional state is going to be really hindered. Um, if they are fostering in that really stressed stressed out place, then taking it away from them is actually going to be worse for their injury or worse mm. for their recovery because it winds up the brain and their stress levels and just their emotional state is just not going to be ready to heal. So you do need to have a bit of leeway and you say, okay, if you don't If you can't think of any other cross-training alternatives, if running is the only thing that you stick to, and if you're telling me that the the psychological benefits of still running outweigh the the potential risks of making it worse, then let's do that. But let's do everything else we can possible to try and manage and overcome this injury. And that be like the rehab exercises. that be like uh, sleep, nutrition, and all the other things that we've discussed on this episode to make sure we do that. But so I think it's just considering the psychological component of taking that, that love away from them during their rehab um, that we really, really need to consider as health professionals.
0: Dang. You know, that is, that is freaking awesome. And I think again, that, that shatters that conception of like, Hey, sometimes like taking time off, is not the best option, even stress fracture, like stress fracture, for sure. Like you said before, but these other injuries, right? Like it band or a runner's knee or something like that. It's like, Hey, like if runners, like if, if this is something that's going to psychologically take it away from you, like, or, you know, just put you out of it, it's going to harm your recovery. So I love that approach. I think that's so great. Um, and, you know, oh man, I wish we can keep talking, but obviously got to be respectful of your time here. Uh, hopefully this isn't the last time, you know, we have you on the show, would love to have you on here. But uh, regardless, I'm sure, like if if you're, if you're our listeners are like me and I know they are, um, they'll be wanting to dive into your podcast more. And if you want more of Brody, like highly recommend you check out his podcast. Like he has so many topics um, and also topics on like specific injuries as well. Like he has an it band episode and all these different uh, episodes to talk about a specific injury, which is super helpful, but he also has a lot of general principle talk. Like he's uh, like, we've talked about here is just a wealth of knowledge. I uh, highly suggest you check out his podcast. And so Brody, where can our listeners listen to your podcast? And then if they're interested to working with you, what are the steps that uh, they can do to get in touch with you?
1: Thanks, mate. So um, they can search the Run Smarter podcast. Most people listen to the first 10 episodes of the podcast. They cover the 10 universal principles to reduce uh, or overcome injury. So most people go through that before flicking through the rest of the feed to find injury specific stuff or um, more niche or interested or topics they're interested in. Um, So they can do that. And to work with me, I think usually the best step, which is, been great for most is um booking in for a, a free 20-minute injury chat which is on my website or i could um leave a link in the show notes if yeah. if they're interested in that and just have a chat and see if we can understand their, their injury a little bit more and if required um to work together via online or in-person physio exactly what that looks like and so that's usually the first few steps
0: Brody. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend everybody here, uh, at least listen to the podcast. And if you are dealing with an injury and you want to bounce back quickly, I'm telling you Brody's the guy to do it. Um, like you said, he's not going to throw out these, you know, uh, one size fits all rules. Cause that's just not how the game works and it's not how the game works well. So, uh, and, and he will get you back on your feet. Like I said, uh, I told him, I tell everybody, who's injured, like to go check you out. Um, so he has my stamp of approval there. So Brody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is such a wealth of knowledge for myself and everybody listening. I mean, I've been working with you, you know, for a month and listening to your podcast for a while and I learned so many new things on here. Um, so so this was a great one, man. I appreciate your time.
1: Had a lot of fun, Joe. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So... If you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'd be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to... Get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.